All right, well, good morning, everybody. So this is going to be a fun couple of weeks because now we're going to start our, I guess, I don't know, call it current topics uh, series. So we get to really poke the bear. Social justice, Black Lives Matter, critical race theory, uh, gender identity, all that stuff, stuff that we're dealing with. So I figured now's the time. I mean, we've had what, almost a year now of foundation uh, teaching, so we can get into the, the really nitty-gritty. So let's start off with prayer, shall we? Father, God, as always, we just want to ask that you would give us wisdom when we have these conversations, um, and most importantly, that we'd season it with grace. I know these are hot buttons for us, and, and sometimes we get um, just distraught by even having to have these conversations, but in our world, Lord, they are necessary, and you have given us the, uh, the gospel, and let us not forget that, that that's the whole point of this. In Christ's name I pray, amen. All right, so this morning, we're going to start with social justice. So, social justice, is it biblical? Well, that's a loaded question, because um, yes, social justice generally is the idea that all people should have equal opportunity to pursue their well-being. So is it bibli it's biblical in one sense, but not the other. Oh, hey, John. So it all depends on how it's defined. So let's do, let's do that. What is social justice? Social justice is a political and philosophical concept which holds that all people should have equal access to wealth, health, well-being, justice, and opportunity. Social justice is the equal access to wealth, opportunities, and privileges within a society, quote, as the application of the more general category of justice to a central dimension of human existence, social justice focuses on the common good of the community as it is manifested in such areas as the fair and equal distribution of goods and benefits, as well as in respect for the rights of others. These definitions were taken from websites like dictionary.com, things like that, okay? So, the sentiment of social justice seems good, right? In that case, it is biblical. Christians ought to desire equality for all people and to not show any partiality. James 2, 2 through 6. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who's wearing the fine clothes and say, you sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit by my footstool, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. It is not the rich who oppresses you and personally drag you into court. So according to James, we do not show favoritism to people, thereby restricting their freedoms and opportunities. All should have the same liberty to do well with what God has given them. Though it may not mean that everyone is equally rich or healthy or possesses the same material possessions. After all, God ordains different levels of successes for people for various reasons, Ephesians 1.11. Furthermore, some people don't desire wealth and are okay with a lesser level of economic success. Others want more, but both are acceptable as long as the desires are what? Ultimately, for the glory of God, and their exercise without coveting or boasting, right? So the part that really gets under our skin as Christians is the political social justice that we're hearing about today. And what's that? Well, or where did it come from? You guys know me. I like to track uh, the origin of ideas. It actually came in the 19th century when the Industrial Revolution was on the rise. And there was a time when it was needed, certainly during that era, uh, there was great economic disparity between levels of society. The rich severely exploited the poor. Communism arose as a political economic philosophy to counter this problem by proposing resource equality between the classes as well as an equal distribution of wealth. So how'd they do that? Well, the state would own the means of production and see the distribution of its goods. And the people would then work to serve the state. This would further mean that private property and the rights associated with it would absolutely be abolished. So what is communism? Communism is, quote, a theory or system of social organization 
based on the holding of all property in, com in common, actual ownership being ascribed to the community as a whole or to the state. Believe it or not, communism differs from socialism. Though the two have similarities, both philosophies advocate economic equality and state ownership of various goods and services. However, those of us that are students of history, do you guys know what happened when any time communism was tried to be instituted? Communism, as in um, the Communist Manifesto, was taught by Karl Marx, right? What happened in history when people tried to do that? I can name a few. Stalin, Lenin, Nazi Thung. It was never realized. Because why? Sin exists in the hearts of men. Once those people got that power. See, the whole idea between communism is that they were supposed to relinquish that power and then return it back to the people. Never once in history has that ever happened in a communist state, and it won't either. It's because we have a sin-cursed earth. See, the problem with communism and socialism is that who run the state power tend to want to perpetuate their own power at the, at the expense of everyone involved, the populace. Particularly in the context of communism, we see what? The abolishment of private property, and along with that, rights associated with private property. Socialism now, this is different, is a lesser form of communism, has the state controlling the production and distribution of goods. Private property is still permitted under socialism, but heavy state-imposed taxation redistributes the wealth and goods among the people. It's similar to communism that it confiscates the wealth and reduces motivation for hard work, and in so doing, society ends up suffering. Um, you guys have probably heard the analogy of grading on a curve, right? The idea is you take the super motivated, hard studiers, the 4.0 students who really, really study, and then you take the ones that couldn't give a rip uh, about their grades at all. And what's grading on a curve? Well, you just average the grades. How long does that end up lasting? Well, pretty soon, the 4.0 students are going to be like, it doesn't matter how hard I try, I still end up getting a B or a C even. And then the lower is like, I absolutely don't have to study. Look at that. I didn't do anything, and I got a B or a C. And then the next time, because the 4.0 students didn't study, what happens? It drags the average down even further. And it keeps going on until pretty much everyone's failing, and then they're just blaming everyone at this point. So now we come to ethical social justice. So as we know, terms or words change their meaning over time, right? Gay used to mean happy in the English language. So the phrase social justice can have different meanings, depends on who you're talking to. So when we examine biblical social justice, we need to look at what I call ethical social justice. After all, social justice carries with it the necessity of ethics since the word justice is employed in it. So ethical principles are inherent in social justice, such as equal opportunity among people, um, fair treatment, opportunities to acquire wealth and property. But when you get into ethics, we have to ask why the demand for social justice is the right one. Hey, Justin. Just saying it's right doesn't actually make it right. Without an objective moral standard, you guys have heard me talk about this a lot, uh, by which justice can be measured, we only have subjective opinions. And that's the problem with the current social justice movement. They're not defining it um, next to an absolute moral standard. They are just defining it to subjective opinions. Where is that going to lead us? I mean, that's just insanity. Yeah, absolutely. See, this would mean that social justice is different for whomever you're talking to. That's not going to work. And since people behave according to what they believe, different definitions of social justice are going to lead to different behaviors. In light of this, some will demand political oppression and heavy taxation of the wealthy to redistribute wealth to the less fortunate. Others might say that what is ethical is to provide opportunities for people to succeed, and they do what they can with those opportunities. Of course, there's countless variations between these, just there are countless variations between people's opinions. Nevertheless, when people proclaim the need for social justice, they have to first define what it is and then establish why that particular definition is the right one and how it should apply to all people. 
That's the problem. Without the universal truth of God's revelation in Scripture, such a definition can't be demonstrated to be an absolute truth. It can only be subjective and fluid, and that's the problem with secular moral thought. It doesn't have any moral absolutes, just opinions, and they must be imposed on others through political legislation and societal pressure. And what is that going to end up doing for us? So is social justice biblical? Well, yes, social justice is biblical when it is defined scripturally. Christian social justice means treating people properly, not oppressing them, helping them, providing support and infrastructure where their talents and abilities can and are rewarded. Psalm 128, Proverbs 12, Proverbs 13. The goal is for people to help themselves and not become dependent on anybody or the government. Uh, that's Proverbs 12, 24. As Christians, we have to understand that we are all made in the image of God. And because Christians have been bought with the blood of Christ, and we serve God who showed love and compassion, we're therefore to seek the welfare of others and pray for their well-being. So that definition of social justice is biblical. So we're admonished to often treat others properly with respect and love and honesty, no partiality as we seek justice for orphans, widows, unfortunate, and oppressed. So here's some couple of verses um, going along that line of biblical social justice. Love your neighbor, Leviticus 19.18. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, I am the Lord. Love your enemies, Luke 6. But love your enemies and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you'll be sons of the Most High. For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful, just as your Father in heaven is merciful. Be kind to one another. Ephesians 4.32 Look to the interests of others. Philippians 2.4 Respect the elderly. 1 Timothy 5 Show no partiality. We already went through that. James 2.2-6 2, 2 Seek justice for the orphans, widows, <coughs> unfortunate, the oppressed. Isaiah 1.17 Proverbs 31, Jeremiah 22, equality of need, so that means given voluntarily, that's in Acts 5. Uh, I'm going to have to get through this without laughing because of Maddie's Ananias and Sapphira story, but <laughs> Acts 5, 1 through 4, I, but a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge and bringing a portion of it. He laid it to the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. So that's the idea, is to be giving voluntarily, right? Just not out of obligation. Okay. I don't know about you guys, but there are a lot of terms floating around which are super confusing. I have, I mean, these people might as well be speaking Greek to me. I don't know what they're talking about. And if we are going to have these conversations with folks, we have to at least define the terms and have a common ground here. So I thought I'd go over some of them. And I actually spent yesterday looking these things up because I hear these things on social media or whatever. I don't know what these people are talking about. So first one, ableism. What's that? That's discrimination that favors people who are able-bodied as compared to the disabled. It's prejudice against those with disabilities and favoring those who are typically healthy. Ageism, same thing. Uh, discrimination against those who are either young or old. Asexuality, self-identification of people who have no attraction or excuse me, sexual desire towards other people. Biphobia, it's an irrational fear and depression of those who identify themselves as bisexual or have fluid sexuality. BLM, we all know that one, it's an acronym for Black Lives Matter, a hyper leftist movement aimed at racial and sexual orientation equality even at the expense of religious freedom. It promotes socialism and LGBTQ in all areas of society. Boycotting, well we all know that one. Calling in and calling out. Calling in is speaking to someone privately about inappropriate action or opinion. Calling out, speaking to someone publicly about inappropriate action. Canceling, that one's popular today. The attempt by a group of people to harm the reputation of a person, product, or organization. This one, 
cisgender. You guys heard that one yet? I had no idea what that was referring to. It's a person who identifies with the same gender with which he or she is born. Okay. Um, so we're cisgender? Correct, because we were born men and women, so here we are, men and women. Right. Now, cisgenderism is an attitude and practice of oppressing non-cisgender people. So the oppression of those who are LGBTQ by presupposing the superiority and normalcy of cisgender. Coming out, we all know that one. Um, critical race theory. We're going to have an entire class on this one, so I'm going to introduce it here. A broad social science approach to the study of race, racism, prejudice, and bias as they relate to society. Uh, let's see. Hate group, a collection of individuals, usually as an organization that intends to spread hatred and violence using lies upon other groups of people based on their sexual orientation, religion, race, or class. That's the nice definition of it. Um, what it actually ends up being is vastly different. Well, years ago, it would, would have been said KKK is obviously a hate group. Yeah, because they're but committing... we're hate groups now. Yeah. We are. Christians are hate groups now. Homophobia. This one has always confused me. Not, not the definition of it, but that it even exists. The fear and intolerance of those who identify with an attraction to members of the same biological sex. For us to call out sin... It doesn't give us a fear of that individual. It doesn't give us an intolerance of that individual. We are simply claiming a biblical truth that what they are practicing is wrong in the eyes of God. It doesn't apply at all. Not, like I said, that one has always uh, confounded me. Karen, you guys have heard this term. Person, generally a white woman, who is seen as having an attitude of entitlement and expresses prejudiced views. I have to get through this one without laughing. Uh, I'll tell you why. LGBTQ, an acronym for lesbian, gay, bisexual, bi meaning two, implying there's only two genders. I don't want to deal with that one. Transgender and queer. Um, queer is an old term. Uh, describes a person who identifies with sexual orientation that doesn't fit the norms of society. Racism, how it's defined today discriminatory attitudes and practices against a person or persons based on a person's race or ethnic group. Transgender is a person whose personal identity does not correspond with his or her biological sex with which they were born. And woke, the condition of being aware of injustices in society. It is awareness of unpleasant truths regarding prejudices. So what does the Bible say about all this stuff? Well, it says that our human nature is fallen. Isaiah 64, Romans 3, Romans 6, 1 Corinthians 15. So we've always had a move towards a moral decline. The world isn't getting better, guys. I was telling my wife this morning on the way to church, I really love listening to oldies. I do. Why? A, it's good music. B, I kind of pretend I'm living back then, right? <laughs> when things were normal and it made sense in my head. I dig oldies. So all we have to do is look at our nation or any nation right now and see that the slide towards debauchery, immorality, self-centeredness, we're adopting the ways of Sodom and Gomorrah as we're flirting with socialism. So people, we generally and naturally rebel against God and the truth of his word. Those of us who are redeemed are going to war against our depravity and submit ourselves to scripture, but those who deny Christ's redemptive work and the absolute morality revealed in scripture are going to find something else to believe in. Always, you're going to have a faith in something, whether, whether you deny it or not, right? You will have a faith in something. Something's going to make that person tick. Yeah. They push their ungodliness into the culture, and they seek to gather others into their way of thinking. Romans 1.30. Homosexuality, transgenderism, racism, LGBTQ, radical feminism, all of these things that were once taboo, now they're common subjects on our radio, TV, print, social media, blogs. They want their morality and beliefs forced on everyone. And that's why our culture is spiraling downward towards greater and greater depravity. They're flirting with Sodom, and they're in bed with Gomorrah. Florida. Yes, look at Florida. That, that bill that bans kindergarten through third grade teachers from speaking about sexual orientation and gender. Right. 
orientation in schools and people are up in arms because why they want to talk to kindergarten Correct. through third graders about sexual orientation. So those of us that are listening online, that was my son just speaking. Um, Milwaukee, do you remember Blue's Clues when you were a kid? Okay. Um, do you remember an average episode of Blue's Clues? Yeah, yeah it, it was pretty instant. It was a kid's show. I mean, like you'd have the fella lose his glue stick or whatever. And then the entire show was he'd ask him Blue where his glue stick was, and then he and other members of the house would be leaving clues around it until he finally found his, his glue stick. Episode done. Um, last year, however, Blue's Clues came up with, and I'll, I'll play it probably next week or so, a clip of this. Blue's Clues came up with this pride parade. And, well, as a matter of fact, I might as well just do that now so we can hear that. So you guys can actually see what I'm talking about. Because the whole idea um, behind this is to show that there is indeed an absolute agenda. Let me get this here. Okay. I think it's better to do it this way because it is one thing for me to describe it and then for you guys to actually see it is an entirely different uh, experience altogether. Anyone else besides my son used to watch Blue's Clues? John? Yeah? It was a good show. Uh -huh. Now I want to show you what Blue's Clues has become. Now, now, also, for those listening online, if you're like, why is Sean uh, all about Blue's Clues? You have to remember the target audience of Blue's Clues, okay? It's preschoolers. It's about ages three to five years old. Now this is what is being shown to our preschoolers. All right, I'm going to stop it there because I'm just, I can't even, it, it keeps going on even further and further down that road. Thank you, Walkie. Yes, I was going to point that out. If you notice on the Drag Queen's microphone, it is a Black Lives Matter fist. They just put everything in there. This is intended for our children age three to five. In what world should a child three to five be concerned about their sexuality? How is this an education? rather than an indoctrination? How is this not absolutely pushing a standard by which they want to be there? It's social engineering. It absolutely is, John. It is social engineering at its finest or worst, however you want to describe it. See, when I had seen this, remembering what Blue's Clues was, I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Because when we were kids, I mean, what, what cartoons do we have? You know, Tom and Jerry running each other with, with a lawnmower or whatever, but, you know, I mean, but the point is, a, a kid's show is supposed to be for kids, right? It's, it's not supposed to have an agenda behind it. It's just supposed to be an entertaining deal. Um, Especially sexual. Oh, it's, well. I mean, there's politically indoctrination, but this is sexual. It is. How is this not pedophilia? How is this not? Right. This is just 
So here's another one. I'm actually going to show another one here. Do you guys remember Muppet Babies? Muppet Babies. It was a, it was a cartoon probably when we were kids. Um, you know, baby, baby Muppets, right? So here's one with Gonzo. Actually, here, let me, let me get to the part here. Okay, got that part, right? Here's part two of that episode. Muppet Babies. I have no idea what I can even allow my grandchildren to watch anymore. I'm I'm at a total loss. Yeah, pretty much probably. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's going to just come down to just radio programs, I guess, for our grandkids. I don't know. Um, in the beginning, when we had children, and especially when we brought them home educate them and train them. Mm-hmm. Um, Romans 16 says, be innocent about what is evil and wise about what is good. Yeah. And it's like that, the first part is really hard, getting harder and harder. Be it is. Be innocent about what is evil. And, and people would ask me, you know, when family would, relatives would come over and my kids wouldn't know what certain things were, you know, um, Harry Potter or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like, you don't watch Harry Potter? What's the matter with you? And, <laughs> and, um, and so people would ask me, and say, aren't your kids going to be shocked when they get out of your home and into the world? And I said, I certainly hope so. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Wouldn't you want them to be? I know. If you're a believer? But it's, it's very, very hard. Yeah. It absolutely to, you is. Know, but the key is to, to train them when they're young, you know, and, and let them to know that there is a difference. And my, my prayer for my children has always been that they see the difference. What is the difference? Yep. Because it, they're, they're, they're going to see this. All the time, it's just getting younger and younger, and then you you do have to um, guard their hearts. You you absolutely do, and just with these two brief clips, these were shows from my childhood, and to think that this is what kids age three to five are watching, when they have absolutely no business at all exploring anything about sexuality. They're three. What should they be focused on? I don't know what kind of jam mom put on their sandwich. Like that's the most of their worries at that point. See, technological comforts aid in this moral decay. People don't need God when they have air-conditioned cars, medicines, heated homes, TV, cell phones. Instant gratification becomes the norm and only helps people sink to the lowest common denominator. Self-gratification, with it comes what? Abortion, pornography, sexual immorality, narcissism. And it is our nature in Ephesians 2 This is why societies never gradually get better as much as we're being told that our society is becoming better and and stronger and wiser. They always gradually get worse. Liberalism always becomes the dominant system in any culture because self-gratification is born out of comfort. It permeates our culture and it forces our way into the church, unfortunately. And that's why so many pulpits 
present, quote, therapeutic sermons. For too many, the Bible becomes a self-help book, dispensing advice and seven easy steps for whatever you're facing. It can solve your personal problems and make you more prosperous. Jesus is there to comfort you and to help you feel better about yourself. It's your best life now. I mean, today's class, of course, isn't meant to be a sermon on how much our culture sucks, but I do want to point out some things here. Marxism, believe it or not, actually has an ugly side to it. Accompanying this moral decline towards Sodom is the leftist propaganda of cultural and economic injustices. LGBTQ and minorities, especially um, those who are non-white, are set against white people. I'm not saying that they themselves are. I'm saying it is propagated that they should be set against each other. The classic Marxist conflict between the haves and have-nots is repackaged now into a class struggle between those benefiting from white supremacy and everyone else. The result is protests and riots and council culture, denial of free speech, threats against the free exercise of religion. Our culture is turning against itself because everyone is doing what was right in their own eyes. Jesus said that a house divided against itself cannot stand. Our house is absolutely divided right now. And it's insane, a lot of these theories that propagate, I understand the premise of them, um, say white privilege, for example, but when it comes time that we're having pastors encouraging people to read books like, you know, White Awoke or White Fragility, rather than, I don't know, scripture, that becomes an issue. That becomes an absolute agenda that should not be there. The liberals have abandoned reason, they've rejected traditional morals, and are trying to implement a so-called democratic socialist agenda. Even though, as we've seen, socialism has failed miserably all over the world every single time it has been implemented without fail. But what do they say? We will do it right this time. You've got to be kidding me. Their foolish arrogance and blatant ignorance are obvious to everyone except for themselves. Unfortunately, at the moment, they are in power. They've been organized and aggressive. The leftists will push their moral political agenda and make abortion a right. Homosexuality is a norm. Promiscuity, a common practice. Pornography, an art form. And increasing violence as good entertainment. The degrading onslaught against our sensibilities is absolutely constant. Politically, the progressives are trying to implement socialist policies to ensure what they call a fair and equitable distribution of resources and opportunity. This way, in their mind, white supremacy, racism, and, in and inequality will be eliminated. So they say. Will it? No. Why? Because sin still exists. It can't be eliminated. But when their socialist policies fail, and they always do, who are they going to blame? Themselves? Absolutely not. They're too blinded for that. Instead, like Nazi Germany, they're going to find a scapegoat. So here in our leftist LGBTQ cancel culture, the attack on conservatives and the Judeo-Christian ethics is well underway, and it's going to con continue. So I pulled up a couple articles that I found recently. This was on MSNBC's Joy Reid. She tries Trump to Osama bin Laden in the wake of the Capitol Hill chaos. A Democrat lawmaker says it's time to call Republicans terrorists. Democrats call white Christian nationalists a national security threat. The Fundamentals of Extremism, the Christian Right in America. These are the titles of articles, guys, from, I'm not going to say well-respected, but well-known media outlets. Public school advocate attacks charter private schools, compares them to terrorist training centers. I know, Blake, you're laughing. You're just like, how? Right. And this list goes on and on. So when things go bad due to their own policies, they're going to continue to blame others. And it is the absolute way of the depraved. Christianity has already been teaching social justice since its inception. The Bible affirms the equality and respect of all people, along with helping the weak and defending the helpless and doing right to all people. But it's not the politically correct version of today. The Bible teaches equality, forgiveness, love, and assistance to others. Leviticus 19.15, you shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor defer to the great, 
but you are to judge your neighbor fairly. Now notice that part, right? In today's social justice agenda, it um, promotes condemning one class or one race of people in favor of another. What did Leviticus just say? Did you guys catch that? You shall not be partial to the poor, nor defer to the great, but you are to judge your neighbor fairly. It doesn't matter. You don't give partiality to anyone in one way or the other. Even reverse so. Learn to do good, seek justice, reprove the ruthless, defend the orphan, plead for the widow, Isaiah 117. For the poor will never cease to be in the land. Therefore, I command you, saying, you shall freely open your hand to your brother, to your needy and poor in your land, Deuteronomy 5. So what is today's social justice? So defining social justice is critical if we're to discuss it. Basically, like I said, it deals with equal rights, opportunity, and treatment of all people in society. Now let's take a look at some more of those in-depth secular definitions. And this is from dictionary.com. Fair treatment of all people in a society, so far so good, including respect for the rights of minorities and equitable distribution of resources among members of a community. The objective of creating a fair and equal society in which each individual matters, their rights are recognized and protected, and decisions are made in ways that are fair and honest. Okay, these definitions are generic, I get it. However, if secular social justice means the denigration of one people or over another in order to justify the redistribution of wealth and property, along with silencing those who don't adhere to, quote, the social norm, then it's not biblical, period. The problem isn't with social justice. The problem is how people misapply and oppress those who don't uphold their politically correct agenda. Despite the two previous definitions, social justice has a range of meanings depending on the need, and it can be molded as a tool to justify almost anything. Here's yet another definition. Social justice is the feedback and corrective principle that detects distortions of the input and or take out principles and guides the corrections needed to restore a just and balanced economic order for all. This principle is violated by unjust barriers to participation, by monopolies, or by some using their property to harm or to exploit others. I wanna talk on that one a bit. I understand, like I said, the arguments that some of minorities may not have the same economic or any type of opportunity as those of us do. I understand the argument, but do I think it's valid? No, I don't. See, like we're seeing in these kids' TV shows that they're propagating, um, there was uh, another one I didn't even pull up for you guys. Oh, it was Arthur. You guys remember Arthur, the aardvark? This one was about critical race theory, um, this particular episode. And Arthur and his friends were all up in arms about racism, and, and they were saying, you know, how how can we end this? This is a, a total atrocity, and, and this, this has to be dealt with, and, and all on. Okay. Well, what's the underlying assumption there? That it is happening all the time without fail, right? Now, the idea propagated by these the social justice and this agenda is that a black man walking down the street is going to be shot by a cop merely just because he's black. And it's supposedly happening thousands of times a day in America. You know what? It's not. It isn't. Do crimes against humanity occur? Yes, undoubtedly. Why? Because we have sin in the hearts of men, period. That's why crimes against humanity occur. Is it someone else's fault that someone has an issue or someone has um, a, a proclivity to some particular lifestyle. I don't believe it is. The idea that we have um, had an entire culture that is merely bent on suppressing other people is completely false. But that's what gets fueled with it because they, they, the agenda is to create oppressors and victims. Correct. And if you can put people in one category or the other, that furthers the narrative of an oppressive society. Yes, it does. Yes, it absolutely does. So now let's get into social justice and socialism. 
So what's problematic in today's society is that social justice is being associated with socialism. So socialism what? It reduces private property rights and forces redistribution of wealth and silences those who stand in opposition. And it's one step closer to actual communism. Unfortunately, those who promote justice in society tell us that the rich must be taxed all the more to make things right. Minorities must be promoted to places of authority and power, regardless of qualification. Do I even need to bring up the absolutely asinine thing that's happening today? The first woman justice of the Supreme Court, who happens to be black, who is appointed, cannot define what a woman is. <laughs> that's insane, folks. That is absolutely crazy. The government must take over more and more of society's operations to ensure what they call, quote-unquote, equity. Invariably, socialism leads to oppression because it denies people's rights when it silences them and confiscates their assets through legal robbery or heavy taxation. And this causes what? The economy to slow down and to absolutely eventually fail. Most recent example, Venezuela. Venezuela used to be number six in the world's economy. Keep that into perspective. Have you seen recent pictures of Venezuela? They will literally have wheelbarrows full of their currency and it does nothing. That is a completely impoverished, stricken, country. So, biblically speaking, all people are made in the image of God. Therefore, regardless of race, gender, ability, or disability, all people are worthy of respect. We're supposed to be considered to people and as much as possible to be at peace with them, Romans 12. However, Christians are not supposed to approve of sinful behavior. The confiscation of property, forced redistribution of wealth, the promotion of homosexuality, abortion, or the denigration of social status simply because those who are in power want to reshape our country into a new moral or amoral image. To do this, what do they need to do? They need to oppress free speech and the livelihood of those who disagree with them. Therefore, the council culture puts pressure on the non-compliant by threatening their jobs and their social status. And it's abusive and is actually social injustice. Christians can't participate in the approval of those sins or the suppression of that freedom. Nevertheless, it doesn't mean that we treat with hatred those who, for example, are guilty of homosexuality and abortion. You gotta remember that, right? We are saved by grace and we have to extend that grace. It's the next part of what Ben's gonna preach on, you know, verses uh, that'd be 14 through 16 of Matthew 6. If you don't forgive others your trespasses, their trespasses against you, how will your father forgive your trespasses? The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26. So that was an introduction of social justice and what we're going to be dealing with in the next couple of weeks. Um, did I ruffle any feathers yet? No? Yes? Maybe? It's not my intention. I, I'm not intending to be abrasive or controversial. My intention, because... Honestly, I had no idea things were that bad. I don't have young kids anymore. I'm not watching Blue's Clues, guys. I had no, I'm not watching Muppet Babies either. But when I was made aware of this, I thought we really should know exactly how bad things are getting. That's a problem. That's a huge problem when a, a show about losing a glue stick is now completely propaganda for sexual deviancy. That's huge. Any thoughts or comments? Emotional outbursts? As Christians, you know, I used to, uh, my kids were public school, and I used to say, you know, we need to be light in a dark world and right. um, be salt and light. And my position on that has absolutely changed. Um, Christians shouldn't have their kids in public schools. Um, that's my opinion. Uh, because we're not influencing them anymore. They're influencing us. It's obvious. In a big way. Yeah. But as Christians, how do we combat this in a real world setting? I mean, we can isolate. We can, you know, hold up in our safe little groups. Mm -hmm. 
but that's not what God has called us to do. Without being combative, what does that look like in a real-world setting? So it's going to depend on who you're having the conversation with, unfortunately, right? And like I said, um, when I defined a couple different atheists, there are the atheists out there that actually want to have a legitimate conversation because they may just have questions that haven't been answered. I was one of those, praise God. Or there may be the atheists that want to do nothing but just insult you and destroy your faith or call you a bigoted, racist, homophobe, or whatever. What do we do at that point? Move on. Christ gave us that example. Literally, shake the dust off your sandals and move on. There's nothing we can do at that point. But that's actually a good thing when I say there's nothing we can do. We cannot. God can. And I would encourage all of us to keep praying for those types of folks that may or may not be in our lives. Um, is it going to get ugly? Are we going to have those heated conversations maybe in an airport or in Safeway or something where someone's screaming at us? Yeah, probably. It's coming, I'm assuming. But, I mean, that's not real persecution. We have friends. Bethany's one of them that experiences, if she were to let known that she is a Christian, her life could be in danger. That's real persecution. To have someone just call me a dirtbag in Safeway, whatever. I mean, that's not really that bad of persecution, to be honest with it. I mean, I guess to, to quote Ben, you know, man up, right? We just have to be tough and just deal with it, with whatever's going to happen when we have those conversations. Um, how do we have it not be combative? Because, well, I think we have it not be combative by actually addressing the root of the problem rather than the symptom. So having Blue's Clues to indoctrinate our kids for sexual deviancy, is that the root problem or is that a symptom of it? Well, that's a symptom. So what's the root problem? Sin. Yeah, sin. And that they, whoever is um, producing this nowadays, they absolutely don't believe in a creator God. They don't believe that you, the people watching their show, are a special creative act by God. They believe that if it feels good, do it. That's the root problem. So if we can talk to them on that, it might uh, save some of the screaming match, maybe when we have those conversations. Um, I pray it would. But at that point, again, we just have to use what Christ gave us. If it's going to become that, then move on. Because we are the mover of the culture, the greatest impact we can have on the culture is the gospel. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and you said 2 Timothy 2, and there, there's four things there. Be, how, to, how to interact with those who oppose us. Be yep. gentle to all, yep. able to teach, patient, and in humility, convince those who are in opposition. And I spoke a whole message on this a few months ago because it, it that is a tall order. It is. And to me, it tells me I've got, you know, we can build a sort of relationship equity with people. Mm -hmm. And how am I going to use that equity I have with that person I have very little in common with? Am I going to argue about uh, um, their lifestyle? Or am I going to argue about, you know, a political topic? Or am I going to pray about a chance to wait and be patient and right. talk to them about something of eternal importance. Right. You know, and, and, and maybe build the relationship up enough where I can call them out for their sin. Yeah. But know that some people, the, the moment you say you oppose them, they're just going to put a hand on your face yep. and walk away. Yeah. You know, like people, but pe I'm talking people you have. For relationships with, sure. Yeah, maybe work yeah. And I, and I mean, to go even one step further on that, John, I would question the efficacy of, you know, if you were going to um, kind of street evangelize to a person at a gay pride parade, is, is that going to have any fruit? I would have to say no at that point. I would disagree, I think. Okay, why would? Because the gospel is the gospel. It's True. Powerful. Anybody hears the gospel, it might put that pebble in their shoe for the rest of the parade, and they have to deal with it. Well, there's the able to teach part of it. Yeah. Right. Be ready to teach. Right. Be ready because people will listen. Reasonable people will listen to reasoning, you know. And and I've had that happen. Yeah. Or so like, why do you believe that? Why do you why do you do that with your family? Or why do you act that way? Well, because I believe in the absolute God and the absolute Word of God, and this is what it says to me. Yeah. Oh, well, okay. And if you have a reason for it, but if you're just saying I, because I don't agree with what you're doing, so I do something different. Right. That doesn't get anywhere. But able to teach is. Why you're here? Well, <laughs> look at, look at, right, yeah. look at right comfort. 
Right. He does the individual going up and doing that, and then he also does the street evangelism, and he gives the gospel message. Then that often, you know, creates a the dialogue. Yeah. The somebody heckles him, and he goes with it, and he and he asks them, you know, his question: Do you think you're a good person? And then it goes from there, and the people around them see that and hear that. So I think both of them have their their strengths. And I love that. And we did show that video once where Ray had an amazing conversation with a homosexual. Um, those of you that haven't looked it up, um, just look it up on YouTube. Uh, just type in Ray Comfort homosexual and it's awesome how he has this, this conversation because he actually gets this young man to think and that's the idea. Um, so where he can have instead of just, well, you're, you're in sin. Well, what, what makes it sin? Well, it's just sin. It's just wrong. You know, we can't be like the, the Westboro Baptist. Yes, I'm going to call them out by name, you know, with the signs that says God hates fags. Like, that is horrible. <laughs> what is that going to do for the kingdom of Christ? Not a doggone thing. Um, but to be intelligent and to have reasons for why what we believe what we believe and it doesn't have to be apologetic reasons guys it just has to be biblical knowledge you have to be able to um, articulate why the bible says what it says you guys heard me tell the story of my buddy uh, kagan when he came over with all the kent hoven dvds and, and in and out when we were teenagers kagan used to tell us you know having sex before marriage was wrong and we're like why he wasn't able to articulate it bless his heart but if you're able to articulate why that's wrong uh, as far as scripture and what it ends up doing, I think that's a better conversation to have, had, to have uh, been had at that point. Any other comments or <coughs> questions? No? Okay. Well, like I said, we're going to continue this series and all of the nice hot topics. Like I said, critical race theory, um, Black Lives Matter, gender identity, all the things that we're, we're dealing with that uh, we had no idea was happening, like with these clips. I wouldn't have known this wasn't happening uh, without watching the Matt Walsh show on Daily Wire. He, he was the one. I, uh, seriously, who's going to YouTube what's happening on Blue's Clues right now? Right? <laughs> That's not a thing. So let's close in prayer, and then uh, we'll get out of here. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your love and for the truth of your word. God, we ask that, um, as your word has instructed us, that we would be able to teach when we do have these conversations, that it wouldn't just become an argumentative screaming match, but it would be somehow fruitful and, most importantly, glorifying to you um, and edifying. God, we always ask for these opportunities to have these conversations uh, and to have these appointments. We ask that you would bring these people into our lives, that we can um, develop friendships with them and be able to minister and witness to them. In Christ's name I pray, amen.